classify the following as snacks or meals. Apples, crackers, nuts, cheese, steak. But what if you ate them all together? Or what if you cut them into tiny pieces? It turns out eating behaviors change depending on how we describe food and the circumstances we eat it, even when the foods stay the same. But which satisfies more? Which keeps us fitter? And which helps us to lose more fat? Listen in as Dr. Cashy illustrates how we can eat more of what we like and stay fitter while doing it. Roll the intro! Everybody, good morning, and welcome to today's episode of Coffee with Cashy. I'm your host, Dr. Trevor Cashy, and today we are talking about snacks versus meals, how labels and locations affect you, a surprising study Hailing from the UK. Surprise, instead of hailing from the UK. A group at the University of Surrey, Surah, Surrey, S-U-R-R-E-Y, I don't know. I had, a, I had a professor, professor, man, I'm batting a thousand today. I had a professor who would misspell things a lot and he was from England and he would say, I'm, I'm an English professor, not a professor of English. And so that's how I justify my misspellings and mispronunciations of everything. Uh, because I'm obviously an English professor, correct? <laughs> uh, so correct me if I'm wrong here. S-U-R-R-E-Y, University of Surrey. They did a fun experiment. That's the only thing I care about is the science people. They did a fun experiment and one that helps reinforce the things we already know, which is great. That's my favorite kind of science is the duh science, as it were. Uh, while also giving us a bit of an understanding of the mechanism behind the duh, which I call the oh-neat part of science. So... These two things combined, I think they lubricate my capacity to help you form your own mental models of how to interpret the science, modify how you think, influence how you feel, and ultimately decide how to act. My favorite combination of things. This is who I like to eat my meals with. That is my family. <laughs> they decided to ask the question, how does eating change when the same food is described in different ways? and the same amounts of that food. Okay, specifically if they differentiated the same food as either a snack or a meal, does it change feeding behavior? Additionally, what if the meal was eaten as if it were a snack? Snacking and distracted. Or, or the standing and distracted. Or the snack, if it was called a snack but eaten as if it were a meal at a table with nice cutlery. Maybe a white tablecloth, right? This is an interesting question because people define these terms a bit differently when prodded, <clears throat> right? If you ask a bunch of people what a meal is or a bunch of people what a snack is, you'll have some variation in the answers. Uh, the funny thing is, or the fun thing is that the behaviors associated with the labels though are similar. So even though people describe them as, as different things in terms of how they describe them in their brain, the behavior associated with the labels is similar, which I think is super interesting. And again, kind of falls back to the mental model cognition concept of how people think, act, and behave, okay? In other words, so people, people define different, people define snacks and meals differently using their own internal shorthand and micro conversations, right? We talk about this stuff a lot. However, even though semantically people define snacks differently, again, the behavior associated with snacks and meals is essentially the same. In other words, people arrive to similar behavioral conclusions through different 
thought processes and pathways, processes and pathways. Uh, it is intuitive, or rather it, it makes sense on paper, that the environment you're in, the people that are in it, what you're thinking, and how you interpret all of this information with your conscious and subconscious brain have a powerful influence over eating behaviors. Are you with people you like or with people you hate? You may eat more or less or differently. <laughs> Are you in a new place? You might eat something new. Or the stress of a new place may compel you to stick with what you already know. Celebrating, bumming out, watching something, all these things matter. And I know you kind of know that already, which is why this is the duh aspect of things, okay? And sure, things like genetics, you know, they do play a role. However, if you can find a way to change that, then we have to talk and submit a paper to Nature Communications pronto. You know how to find me. <laughs> I'll help you write it up. Uh, for that reason, I think it's best to stick with the things you can observe and modify instead of just observe and be stupefied. Right? We have the ability to gain a ton of data. There's only a subset of that data that can provide us with an actionable conclusion. And so that's what I like to focus on with everybody here anyway. Okay? Let's say you get one of those stupid DNA tests and it says you're two toadstools and a full moon away, more likely to eat donuts. <laughs> well, so what? You either use it to give yourself permission to act like a Dorcas Malorcas, or you say yes to yourself and you pull yourself closer to where you want to be. Right? The formula is the same regardless. I'm just here to help you customize it for yourself, right? So before I get out of control, let us whoops, focus straight line, straight line, persuasion, straight line. <laughs> okay. Let's look at Dr. Cashy's stolen and brutally modified, confirmationally biased and heavily cherry-picked interpretation of what the heck I think is going on here, shall we? All right. So that group at Surrey University, forgive me for the pronunciation here, they had a group of 80 people and they were randomly split into four groups. Groups that I'm calling Group A, Group B, Group C, and Group D, <laughs> okay? And Group A, eat this meal, okay? They had pasta served on a nice plate with silverware seated at a table. Group B was eat this meal, which was pasta served in a plastic container with a disposable fork, eating while standing up and distracted. Group C was eat this snack which was the pasta again, served on a nice plate with silverware seated at a table. And then group D was eat this snack, which was pasta served in a plastic container with a disposable utensil standing and distracted. So overall we have four groups. We have meal eaten as a meal, meal eaten as a snack, snack eaten as a meal, and snack eaten as a snack. Whew. Okay. Covered. Bear in mind here that the portions were exactly the same for everybody here, which is fun, fun controlling part, fun, fun controlled part of this experiment. Okay. In all four groups, the labels and locations of the food was different, but the food was the same and the amount of food was also the same. So after each group ate their portion of the pasta, they waited 10 minutes to clear their palates or meditate or whatever, you know, the explanation was right. And then they were instructed to test out and rate some snack foods that are marketed as snack foods, okay? Uh, animal crackers, Fruit Loops, M&Ms, Cheez-Its, things of that nature. Granted, the UK has different snack foods, but I've modified the language to something that makes sense to my Viking brain, okay? Man, I wish I was cool enough to call a cracker a biscuit. <laughs> That's all I gotta say about that. How sophisticated is that? I smash ground beef into a bag of Doritos and call it a taco salad. Uh, <laughs> in any case, the, the cheeky scientists which, you know, plus one for English or British slang there. Correct me here, Ben. 
trying to expand my horizons linguistically here, the cheeky scientist told the subjects to give their ratings to these foods that they were testing, okay? Because from what I understand, or my guess, is that they were trying to get the subjects to think they were comparing how eating before eating impacted the perception of a snack food on taste. But really what they were doing is they were measuring how much each person ate as a taste test. So they're saying, all right, now that you ate this pasta, why don't you, why don't you do a taste test with these foods and then give us a rating, okay? And they were measuring how much each person ate. This is the crux of the experiment here. Again, as a taste test, <laughs> which when you do some basic calculations incorporating the fundamentals of gustatory physiology, that's modest at best. In other words, a hair's breadth worth of justification is all a free living person needs to justify snack-a-doodle-doodling. Okay, and that is a convoluted way of saying you only need like a rice kernel's worth of food to determine a flavor profile. <laughs> Heck, I've met a couple of super duper fancy wine taster testers, and they only sniff it. They even they've even like given up on the whole tasting part. They can tell just by sniffadoodling, which is super impressive, by the way. Maybe they have some German Shepherd in them. But just to be clear, they were told to taste test. But you only need like super tiny amounts of food to figure out what the sort of flavor profile is and how to rate it. Okay, and that's the kicker, is that. Most people, again, in a free living situation, only a hair's breadth worth of justification to give themselves permission to snack a doodle doodle, right? So you see why Dr. Cashy is so weird about permission giving micro conversations? Self awareness wins again, right? But that's, we're getting to the cool part, <clears throat> okay? Anyway, uh, those, even those pasta portions, Okay, between snack, even though the pasta portions between the snack and the food labels are the same, the two snack groups, they ate more of the taste testing snack foods. In one case, way more. <laughs> okay, additionally, the groups that ate the meal as a snack, standing up with a disposable container and tools, right, they ate more of the taste testing snack foods as well. Overall, the group that ate the snack pasta, presented as a snack, ate 50% more calories worth of the legit snack foods by weight. Wow! <laughs> Everybody ate the same amount, but when he said, hey, this is a snack, also eat it like a snack, and then taste test these things, look at the cognition, look at, look at that thought process there, look at what's happening. It's crazy, they ate 50% more of those other foods during a taste test. It's craziness. So what is the potential take-home here? Well, the potential take-home, or the actual take-home, rather, is that the way you think about your food matters very much. And I'll give you two specific situations. There's a situation where you moderate your intake on purpose, like you're getting coached and you have a plan, and you're keeping track, and you have, you know, that sort of thing, right? You're working with me, so you know how much to eat and, and when, you know, specifically meant for you. If you still think of food in this way, sure, you'll still stay on track. You'll still make progress, absolutely. However, framing, framing foods as snacks, framing foods as snacks will probably result in your overall food satisfaction going down. And that means, again, your overall food cravings will also go up. And so to learn more about the craving stuff, I have a few videos on that, the soft signs of hard cravings. And so this in turn would make your so-called diet fatigue go up where your, your actual effort to perceived effort ends up becoming a wider and wider gap, okay? 
Can you deal with this as a person who's moderating your intake and making progress? Absolutely you can, right? We learn how to deal with temptations and cravings and things all the time. That's, that's going through that and learning how to work through that stuff is, is, the, is the only way to make permanent progress, okay? However, in a lot of cases, is it a necessary battle to fight? <laughs> now that we know this, Dr. Kashi says no. <laughs> Dr. Kashi thinks you should eat regular and satisfying meals and he thinks that is a reasonable approach to feeding yourself. It is a great way to relieve a lot of the excess tension and friction during the change process, okay? Stacking the cards in your favor, giving yourself a chance, right? And that's in a moderated situation where, you know, you have measurements and information and making informed decisions. Well, what about in a free living situation where just people do whatever the heck they want? Well, look around. <laughs> you can see what happens in real time in a, in a free living ad libitum situation. You're probably going to eat more food on accident, <clears throat> on, on complete accident. Such are the cultural implications of the mental models associated with snacks. <coughs> Ooh, speaking of which, I got a snack hiding back there. Good grief. <coughs> Excuse me. So you're going to eat more food on accident. And again, those are the cultural implications with the mental models associated with snacking. <clears throat> Woo, excuse me. The whole purpose of a snack, the whole purpose of a snack is to be a not meal. <laughs> that you're supposed to eat it while standing and distracted or doing something else. Driving, watching, reading, whatever, playing. In other words, it is a seldom spoken but common belief that snacks are excluded from the way our brains currently structure satisfying meals. You eat a snack now with the intention of eating again later. That's the purpose of a snack. You're literally eating something and using that food as a way to give yourself permission to eat again. How strange, right? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Now, I'm okay at all this science stuff, okay? Passable. I spent 20 years obsessing over the physiology of what's going on. I still do, obviously. And what I learn and relearn each passing day is that the biology is utterly fascinating to study. It's also tricking people, scientists and the general public both, into thinking that the answers are in your genes and hormones and things of that nature. And that's a pretty Western reductionist way to approach things. I still keep my metaphorical microscope at arm's reach <laughs> because I am, am and forever will be an epic nerd for those sorts of things, study it every day. And, and again, the stress physiology behind the phenomena that we're discussing now is, is even more fascinating to me. During this time, though, however, I've learned the importance of separating man, mice, and molecules. They've got to be separated. The physiology of the situation is 99% is right, right? It's super fun. It's intellectually stimulating. It might give engineers some way to help develop drugs or whatever, solve world peace, world's energy crisis, all that stuff. It's divorced from you. From you, from you, from you. Your brain, your heart, and your tummy. It's, it's disconnected from that. And that's why the physiology is 99% right and 100% wrong. It's practically pretty useless. <laughs> it's practically pretty useless. Okay? The reality is that somebody you deeply respect can criticize you. And that feels awful. And that, that awful feeling may cause negative thoughts to creep into your head. And those negative thoughts influence the way you behave. Huh. 
And the same goes for a highly arousing and stimulating thought that makes you feel motivated and accomplish things that you otherwise thought were impossible. I can tell you from firsthand experience with me and secondhand experience from my clients and thirdhand experience from case studies and papers that, that my microscope was and is a horrible tool to work on that. <laughs> and that's the stuff that practically matters. Knowing the science is all well and good, and in some cases, many cases, provides perspective. And that perspective can help us guide decisions and look into the future. Uh, the study, like the ones that we discussed today, it shows that the biggest problems that need solving are absolutely within your grasp and capabilities to solve. Leave the microscoping to me and the other pocket-protecting nerds. Put yourself first, you know? And a great first step is to replace snacks with balanced and satisfying meals meant for you. Proper meal patterns and well-formulated diets eliminate the need for snacks anyway. If you need some assistance with that, Dr. K, Dr. Kashi has your back always and will help you every step of the way. And third person, Dr. Kashi also promises that if you give your satisfying, life-giving food the respect it deserves, it will respect you right back. <laughs> all right? Remember, Dr. Kashi believes in you. I love you all. I will see you very soon. Want to continue having coffee with Dr. Kashi? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is very much appreciated. Thank you, and see you next week. Dr. Kashi is out!